just think, oh, have we heard this before? Tonight on the KRBD Evening Report. A company is thinking about a possible natural gas terminal north of Prince Rupert. Alaska's population declined in 2019 for the third straight year. And some Alaska Native Corporation shareholders face fines over criticism on social media. All that and more coming up. First, let's take a look at the weather. Tonight, it'll be clear with lows around 10, northwest winds to 15 miles an hour. Thursday, mostly cloudy, highs around 15, northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Thursday night, mostly cloudy, lows around 10, northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Friday, partly cloudy, highs around 20, northwest winds to 10 miles an hour. Friday night, chance of snow, low around 15, northwest wind to 15 miles an hour, gusting to 35 in Kassan. You're listening to the KRBD Evening Report. I'm your host, Eric Stone. A new company would like to build a $12 billion natural gas export terminal in southeast Alaska waters near Prince Rupert, British Columbia. But some aren't convinced that the project will be viable. The company is called Alaskan LNG. President Bing Giroux says his company hopes to capitalize on natural gas trapped in northern British Columbia. We're washed with gas. And so that gas is looking for, for a market. As more and more customers in Asia move away from coal, demand for BC's gas is forecast to grow. But shipping natural gas is complicated, in part because it's a gas. It's not like shipping coal or lumber or even oil. To ship natural gas efficiently, you need to cool it down until it condenses into a liquid. And for that, you need something called a liquefaction plant. Which is essentially, to be simple, is a, is a large refrigeration unit using Using the same physics as a, reg- as a refrigerator. Giroux says his company is investigating a site in southeast Alaska, just over the border from B.C. The idea is to take the gas from northern B.C., liquefy it on a floating platform attached to a small island, and put up to 12 million metric tons per year of liquefied natural gas on ships bound for Asia. And Giroux says some of that gas could make its way to southeast Alaska. Uh, certainly could help a lot of... Uh, Alaska communities or remote mining projects, that sort of thing, maybe switch from diesel to natural gas. But why bother crossing an international border? We like the Alaska side partially because it makes the pipeline shorter. It saves about 60 kilometers. Um, and Alaska has a, is a fairly clear and robust permitting process. Which is to say U.S. regulators have lots of experience permitting natural gas terminals. But some experts say they don't believe the hype. Larry Persley is a professor at the University of Alaska Anchorage. He's followed global gas markets for decades, and he's seen a number of projects try to capitalize on Asia's growing demand for natural gas. I just think, oh, have we heard this before? Persley points to a proposed state-backed pipeline and export facility that would take gas from Prudhoe Bay to south-central Alaska for export to Asia. Various iterations of that idea have been studied for decades, but the project has now stalled amid skepticism from Governor Mike Dunleavy's administration. Personally says one reason for that is that the necessary facilities are simply too expensive. The world's always going to burn the cheapest gas it can get delivered to the dock. And that's always been the challenge for Alaska, and I think that will be a challenge facing this project, too. Early estimates from Alaskan LNG put the terminal's cost at around $12 billion. And that doesn't include the cost of the proposed 12-mile pipeline. Persily says the economics just don't make sense. The market is adequately supplied. It doesn't need another project at the moment. Persily points out that there's another natural gas terminal under construction, about 70 air miles away in Kitimat, B.C. 
Persily says he agrees with Alaskan that U.S. regulators know their way around gas terminals. Canada has only one high-volume terminal, that's the one under construction in Kitimat. The U.S., though, has more than half a dozen online and under construction, mostly on the Gulf Coast. But Persily says Southeast Alaska is a whole different ballgame. Getting regulatory approval to build a hydrocarbon facility in Southeast Alaska is not going to be a slam dunk like it is in, in Houston. He says community members might not be amenable to a new facility that would attract massive gas tankers to Southeast Alaska. I, mean, I would think you'd have fishermen who'd say, I don't care about natural gas, I'm fine with it, but how many tankers are you going to come through the water? What if a tanker is a spill? For his part, Alaskan LNG's Bing Jiro doesn't think the market is saturated. Oil giant Shell has a 40% stake in the Kitimat terminal, and they also own lots of wells in the northern BC gas fields. And so, yes, the LNG facility in Kitimat's going ahead, but that only really consumes Shell's gas. So everybody else is looking for another facility. He said in this early part of the process, the company is just trying to determine whether a terminal is feasible. Geotech, we'll do some, some wind and weather analysis to make sure that they actually are viable sites. This is where the community consultation element comes in. We talk to people, making sure we, we're doing something that's right for everybody. And some locals sound positive on that issue. Ketchikan City Mayor said in a mid-December City Council meeting that a terminal near Prince Rupert could help the city transition away from diesel. Maybe in the winter when we get short of power, we'd have natural gas to, to provide power uh, and not run antiquated diesel engines. <laughs> and run up against air emission issues. So it's just a, an interesting thought. Right now, Alaskan is still exploring its options. But if all goes according to plan, Jarreau says the plant could come online in 2027 or 2028. That story was produced as part of a collaboration between KRBD and Alaska's Energy Desk. Alaska's population declined again in 2019. As Alaska Public Media's Abby Collins reports, it's the third year in a row that that's happened. In general, it's pretty rare for Alaska to lose population at all. That is state demographer David Howell. Going back to oh, the mid-1940s, so since World War II, basically, uh, Alaska's population has only declined uh, six years, and three of those years were the most recent years. So it's, it's definitely notable that it has been declining. The state's population was down 0.4% last year. According to the Alaska Department of Labor, the population decreased by around 3,000 people from July 2018 to July 2019. That follows two previous years of population decline. Why does it keep happening? We don't know. Um, the most recent year, the thing that really jumped out to us was that the lower number of people moving into the state. And that's been the case for the past three years as well. Um, so it, it seems to be that we're just having less people moving into the state. Howell says historically, the number of babies born in Alaska greatly outnumbered the number of deaths. But Alaskans are also having fewer babies. Howell says net migration tends to fluctuate. So he's not ready to say the state's population will likely continue to decline. As of July 2019, just over 731,000 people were living in Alaska. In Anchorage, I'm Abby Collins. A body found in a vacant apartment in Fairbanks Sunday night has been confirmed to be that of 30-year-old Kristen Huntington, who lived in the building and went missing last week. A release from Fairbanks police says the state medical examiner completed an autopsy yesterday and positively identified Huntington. Police say her death is being investigated as a murder and ask anyone with information about the case to contact them. 
Family and friends of Huntington are holding a candlelight vigil tonight at 6. The vigil will start at Hamilton Acres Apartment off of B Street and Farewell Avenue. An announcement about the event by the group Indigenous Lives Matter says vigils are also planned for tonight in Anchorage and Selawick. State regulators will fine some Alaska Native Corporation shareholders over their criticism on social media. That's because, as Coast Alaska's Jacob Resnick reports, free speech is not protected when it comes to corporate elections. See Alaska Shareholders Underground. It's a Facebook page with about 1,600 followers, and it's the mouthpiece of Dominique Salvato. For years, the Anchorage-based Sea Alaska shareholder has railed against the regional native corporation. Every year, we see the same millions of dollars go to the same people. And uh, we just get separated further and further from the ownership of our stock. But Salvato's comments were more than simple criticism. State regulators accused him of misrepresenting how Sea Alaska pays out incentives to shareholders to vote in board elections. He faces a $1,500 fine. In Sitka, Clarice Johnson moderates a Facebook forum for Sea Alaska shareholders. It has more than 4,000 members. She says it connects shareholders across the country. A lot of people are in the Northwest, and so Facebook was the most efficient way to reach the most shareholders. Her critical comments about Sheatica, Sitka's native urban corporation, electoral process brought a state enforcement action against her. She's on a three-year probation and has a suspended $1,500 fine hanging over her head. I think that shareholders don't really understand their potential liabilities. Uh, we think we have free speech, and we don't. It, it, I don't know how we came to this situation, but it's really disturbing. Johnson and Salvato were fined because they violated the state's banking and securities regulations. The division regulates Alaska's financial industry, including Alaska Native corporations. Division officials declined an interview request earlier this month. By Monday, they had not yet answered written questions sent last week. In 2019, the state sent cease and desist letters and levied civil penalties against four shareholders for online posts about board elections. That's because in the corporate universe, any statement that could influence voting has to be preceded by formal disclosures. Yes, that includes Facebook comments. So although the term elections is used and it suggests in people's minds the First Amendment, when it comes to corporate elections, the First Amendment is not a relevant concept. Lloyd Miller is an Anchorage attorney specializing in Alaska Native issues. The regulations are designed to punish false or misleading statements that could hurt a company. So these rules that are intended to apply for the Exxon corporations of the world or General Motors or, or Boeing uh, are also being applied in a very different context with very peculiar results. Enforcement actions begin as confidential complaints that are investigated by the state. But Miller says they're apparently weighted in favor of the powerful. That's because corporate managers have a legal team and know the rules. Shareholders often don't. Oh, certainly the current regime works to the benefit of management. There's no question about it. But that complaint-driven system can work in the other direction. After Clarice Johnson was sanctioned for her posts about Shiatica's election process, the corporation's then-CEO responded on Facebook. He had the resources to know what he could and couldn't say, and he chose to violate it. So Johnson filed her own complaint. The division placed the Shiatica CEO on a five-year probation with a suspended $1,000 fine. To be clear, he wasn't accused of making false statements. He just hadn't filed the required disclosures in advance of his Facebooking. And filing a proxy disclosure isn't simple. It's a multi-step process. The disclosures ask a lot of information, and it's the same whether a shareholder wants to send a mass mailer or post on social media. It's very rare that we go to banking and securities and file an actual complaint. 
See Alaska's Jaylene Kukesh says the corporation tries to caution shareholders who break the rules. She's the regional Native Corporation's vice president for legal affairs. We generally t- try to communicate with the shareholder directly and just tell them that they're violating the proxy rules or violating the proxy bylaws for our election and please stop. And usually that's all that it takes. In Sitka, Clarice Johnson also says even though she was sanctioned, she won't be silenced. I think that the increase in complaints to banking and securities against shareholders is a direct result of increasing power of shareholders as they gather in Facebook groups. Lloyd Miller, the attorney, says it's unfair for the state to regulate Native Corporation board elections like that of just another investor-owned company. There really is a bit of a mismatch between the corporate world and the Alaska Native Corporations. The Alaska Native Corporations are were forced upon people. People don't buy in based upon uh, investor interest. He says the state's regulations could and should be updated. They were designed in the 1970s to prevent misleading mailings that could dupe shareholders. Now it's very quick back and forth among hundreds, potentially thousands of people on Facebook and Instagram, other platforms. And the, uh, the regulatory regime just hasn't kept up with that world at all. And it really needs to change. Dissident shareholders like Dominique Salvato says the rise of social media has been a game changer. But I warned C. Alaska about that. Then. I said, when you bring the young kids aboard with the new shareholders, they're not as dumb as the old ones. They're going to be a lot smarter. and not going to be able to pull this stuff for as long. His hearing to contest the civil action brought by the state's Banking and Securities Division is pending. Reporting in Juneau, I'm Jacob Resnick. That's all we've got on tonight's KRBD Evening Report. You can get this show as a podcast on your favorite podcast app, or you can get us on your smart speaker. Just ask it to play the KRBD Evening Report, or you can just ask it to play KRBD. Thanks so much for listening. I've been your host, Eric Stone.